Hello and welcome to Have You Seen It? I'm Emily. And I'm Ned. And each week we'll take you on a three-part cinematic adventure. We will be reviewing something currently in cinemas. A past or present wildcard. And something hot on a streaming service. So let us be your cinematic spirit guides. So you can stop scrolling. And start watching. So this week is a little bit different because we are doing our Oscars special. So where I'd usually ask what film Emily saw in the cinema this week, this week I'm saying, what film did you see a while ago? And then rewatch in anticipation of this episode. So the film I rewatched in anticipation of this episode, which I believe is still in some cinemas and currently available on Amazon Prime Video, is the 2023 Oscar winning best picture that is everything, everywhere, all at once. Now, again, usually I come out with something like, now I've had a bit of buzz about this one, but <laughs> that's a bit redundant given it, it literally won Best Picture. But I'd heard a lot of buzz about it before. And there are a few reasons a few people said to me, because I've got ADHD, uh, it would appeal to me. Um, there are kind of elements of sci-fi. Mm -hmm. But also, it seemed at first like a bit of a sleeper hit. I didn't even think it was the kind of film that would get nominated for an Oscar. Right. So it sounded pretty weird. What's it about? <laughs> so yeah, I think weird is definitely one of the ways you would describe it. So the genre, I mean, it kind of defies genre. It's got so many different elements to it, but it is called an absurdist comedy drama written and directed by the Daniels, as they're collectively known two film directors, both called Daniel. Uh, and it follows Evelyn Wang, who's played by Michelle Yeoh, who's a Chinese-American immigrant who, whilst she's been audited by the IRS with her family, ends up connecting with a parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being from destroying the multiverse. It didn't just win Best Picture, did it? No, it won. I can tell you exactly how many awards it won, Ed. It won seven Oscars, and those were for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. I mean, there's no kind of higher praise than that. Probably only about four or five other films in history have done that. It is incredibly rare this happens. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I absolutely loved it. I think that, for me, it was a really refreshing film because... As we've, you know, people who, long-time listeners of the podcast will know, I'm a fan of sci-fi. I'm a fan of something a bit wacky, a bit comedic, that plays to that sort of surreal element. Because this was so off the wall, it really, it's, it's funny, it's dark. It is everything everywhere all at once, Ned. But I also think that in a world of Marvel films about the multiverse that are pumping millions of pounds into making the same, you know, Doctor Strange or whatever, it's, it was nice to see a slightly smaller player coming to play in the multiverse in a much more entertaining and like real way than any of those films. Yeah. And it really felt like I've not seen the, like the multiverse is a crazy concept. I've not seen another film execute the multiverse as well as this film. Doctor Strange 2 or Doctor Strange 3 or whatever it was, the multiverse of madness. It's in the title, the multiverse of madness. There's one montage sequence where they go through loads of really interesting looking multiverses. 
and then they end up in a more boring version right. of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And I was like, this is not really a multiverse of madness. And I enjoyed Loki. I've not bothered watching Quantumania because it sounds bad. Yeah. I, I kind of enjoyed this stuff, but I have, after years of being obsessed, suffered from Marvel burnout. Mm -hmm. Do you think, for me, with my Marvel burnout, given what you've said about it being a, a smaller, more personal piece, do you think I will get enough of what I like about the Marvel films about blockbusters, mm -hmm. or is it too weird? I would say for you, no. But I would say for the fan of the mainstream blockbuster this might be too weird and I've spoken to other people about it because I've recommended this film to them and been like it's amazing it deals with all of this stuff and then they're like mm. it's it's too much like there was too much going on and that could be where it kind of falls down but I think because there is that appetite for the sort of the multiverse and let's be clear the protagonists in this film are not superheroes but these are just like everyday people and the point is that they're, mm. they're tapping into the skills that they have acquired in other timelines every decision you make starts a different timeline for you in another level of the multiverse and what the characters here are doing are tapping into it so that they can fight this this evil person to save the universe and so that, that's where the layers are. it gets a bit complex sometimes you're a bit like what's going on but it is so entertaining, sometimes desperately funny and desperately sad, the different turnings that their life could have taken. It's a bit like, it's like it's like sliding doors is the other sort of concept of yes. that sort of... Is sliding doors the original <laughs> multiverse of madness? I think it might be. <laughs> so you're saying it's somewhere in between sliding doors and the multiverse of madness? <laughs> yeah. It's somewhere between sliding doors and a Marvel film with a whole lot of themes about existentialism and nihilism and absurdism and all this stuff going on, as well as actually, I think one big thing about Everything Everywhere All at Once is it's very, it has this sort of layer of like generational trauma and the Ama Asian American identity and experience all layered in that other films don't tap into so much. And so for me, it was refreshing to see this you know, these characters, and there's been a lot about, you know, Michelle Yeoh winning her first Oscar and Kei Hui Kwan, who plays her husband, winning his first Oscar. And he was obviously in Indiana Jones back in the day. So having these representatives from the Asian American community and a film made about their experiences also makes a nice change from just seeing Marvel characters like punching each other. And also, I mean, I think I've seen a lot of it uh, from my British Asian friends, but but something that's so important about him winning the Oscar is, you know, he gave up acting, but also his character was kind of a bit like Apu was. Catchphrases were used against that community to bully them, and the hero's journey, if I could use something that kind of novelistic to talk about very real experience and trauma this man's probably gone through... Mm. It, it's, it's an amazing kind of moment of, of vindication of victory over various traumas. Do you think it's one of the best films ever? You know, I, I find it pretty extraordinary that I've not seen it yet, given it's won all these Oscars and it's kind of ranked by the Academy as one of the greatest films ever. Do you think it's worth this hype? Yes, I think so. And I think it's interesting because 
because it's so refreshing i think that that's the point mm. of it it's so different from what's already out there and i think i read an article about saying there's so much like special effects visual effects in this film and a lot of the people working on it they had again come from quite humble beginnings and they'd done a lot a lot of stuff outside of mainstream hollywood and they came together to make this incredibly complex and like visually beautiful film and so it's got that real scrappiness to it which means that it then falls outside of the Hollywood bubble, which is what makes it feel so refreshing and interesting and exciting. Um, I think I don't, I mean, we can go into talking about like best pictures. Usually I feel like the Academy often gets it wrong. And I know obviously that's what the best pick podcast alludes to uh, and the book. But I feel like in this case, I mean, I would have liked to see Banshees of Inner and get kudos it deserved from the academy but as a as a strong second option i was rooting for this film and i'm happy what makes banshee's vinsurance so good it's the tightrope of comedy and tragedy that it was yeah and that the performances and that kind of central relationship between the two protagonists and there's so much going on in the world in which they're living but they're just on this island having this ridiculous argument that sort of gets out of control and it's just got it's just so it's so bitingly dark and funny. If I could only see one of those films, what should I see first? I think you should see Banshee, Banshees of Inner in first, but I do think you should watch everything ever all at once because if you're like a Marvel watcher, which I know you are, you will, yeah. it will completely shift your perspective about what these films could look like if it was taken outside of the mainstream studio context. What drove me to my exhaustion with Marvel is I sat down and watched the four and a half hour Snyder Cut of Justice League, which is incredibly flawed, really quite crap. But the thing about it is I was like, oh, the music's really good and they're trying to do something. And then I rewatched uh, the original Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. And again, I was like, God, the soundtrack is amazing. <laughs> then I watched like a Marvel, a modern Marvel film. And I was like, they don't really make any effort and there's there are loads of memes about how bad the special effects have got yeah um in marvel they've just given up on the special effects the latest like, thor film love and thunder is the special effects in that are so bad like you can see the green screen almost you're just like how yeah. how is this being allowed <laughs> like so i'm going to the cinema going to our have you seen it pay what you want cinema or pay what you think something's worth cinema uh how much should i pay for a ticket I pay full price at any cinema that you go to. I went to see it at really? the Prince Charles Cinema in uh, Central London, which I couldn't recommend highly enough to everyone. So I would pay whatever the Prince Charles charged me, which I think was... £20? Would you pay £20? Yeah. You know what I would love? £30? I would love to see this film at the, at the IMAX. And that's like, mm. I don't know how much that is these days. A lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. £30 at the IMAX. Yeah. That's the answer. Given that it is Oscars week, what have you picked for your pretentious pick this week? I have picked the German war epic, All Quiet on the Western Front. And it ticks two of our pretentious boxes, which is it is subtitled and over two hours long. But obviously it is not over 50 years old and it is not black and white. I was going to say the source material is actually, it's based from the 1929 novel of the same name. So it does kind of tick your third box. <laughs> it kind of does, yeah. But I could have actually picked the 1930 version yeah. of it, which would have been really pretentious. But <laughs> I couldn't find that for free in a streaming service, whereas <laughs> this is a Netflix production. Yeah, so what's it about? It's about a group of young soldiers going to fight 
in the trenches towards the end of the First World War. And if you don't know this already, it's called the Western Front because it's German. I've already said it's German. It's a story which I think, because it's been so influential, it's a story which British audiences will be very familiar of the First World War. Got all the hallmarks of, of what we would associate with a trench warfare epic. Did you, and I'm going to say enjoy, with heavy inverted commas, because if you said, yeah, I really enjoyed it, with bright smile, I would be slightly questioning your sanity. Did you enjoy it, Emily? Um, I, I was moved by it. Obviously, you can't say you enjoy it. It's, it's very... It's a sort of book you study in school. It's a very profound story. Mm. It's very well done. But I I struggled to see why it was getting so much hype in that I thought it was good, but I was like, is it that good? Like, what is the Kool-Aid that everyone else is drinking that I am not? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with you, to be honest. I would say that it's something that, everyone should watch at school yeah um which is slightly jumping ahead to our <laughs> similar thing to our, our final question but it's so depressing yeah it's so so bleak it is relent relentlessly depressing i think in a book i might be able to get through that because of how characters are done and how things are done the first half an hour I was basically in tears for like the entire first mm. half an hour. It, but then it just deadens you. I couldn't tell one character from another from pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's it. Like the beginning is so heartbreaking because you have Paul, this young character who enlists when he's too young. And we, we all know those deeply tragic stories of everyone signing up together. And it's all that transition from going to like, we're going to protect our country to the reality of war. But then it's just... Yeah so relentless the whole way through and you're as soon as the characters are in the trenches it's yeah it's hard to differentiate them oftentimes but um then you kind of it's just I mean maybe that's the point maybe they're trying to hammer home the how relentless it is but then you you just get a bit lost in the middle and then again once it sort of picks up again towards the end when um you'll have kind of coming out the other side almost or you know the war's wrapping up essentially then you're a bit more like focused on that the one character of Paul again yeah it just it just lost me a bit in the middle and kind of failed to claw a bag it's kind of like have you seen Full Metal Jacket or 1917 1917 yes Full Metal Jacket no so Full Metal Jacket brilliant film there's a constant criticism of it though which is the first half is set in a um like a training camp before they go out to Vietnam mm -hmm. to get them up to speed yeah and the second half is set in Vietnam and they're basically two films and people were always like the first half is a 10 out of 10 the second half is a 8 out of 10 like it's not bad it's a bit weird and it just doesn't live up to the first half and I feel that quite quickly All Quiet on the Western Front got to the second half yeah and I was reading about the book that the book spends a lot more time establishing their lives in Germany before the war yeah I think you're right that and, and I, I agree that they because you you don't see so much of where they're coming from and you see a bit of the camaraderie but it's not enough mm. I mean I guess for me I, I'm a complete band of brothers obsessive but for me like that tells you everything about experience of going through a war together whereas these guys Obviously, they had some kind of bond, but there wasn't enough built of that. 
And then conversely, I think that's also because when I was reading about how they adapted the screenplay, I think they added on the additional storyline of like focusing on the generals. And Yeah, I found that a bit weird. I was worried. I'm always worried about films like this, that they'll get it wrong and make it like a heroic pro-war film. And... It mm. made me hate war and want to be a pacifist. It did that very, very well, but it didn't... I was thinking about Ned's pretentious point for Ned's pretentious pick. I don't really have a pretentious point. Like, I don't really... There's not what? much subtext to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shocking. It's just like, yeah, war is really, really horrible. Yeah. And this war in particular was horrible in a in a way which was really hellish. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, there were some interesting things that happened to the right of it. He was exiled. His sister was beheaded by the Nazis, partly because of her link with him. And what I found actually something really interesting is that the book was still, ba- or parts of his books were still censored up until the 50s in Germany. Really? Because obviously, obviously a lot of the Germans were Nazis. Yeah. You know, they, they, they didn't like anti-war traitors in their eyes. And so the the kind of legacy of this book is is interesting in the context of Germany. Mm. But would that have been a more interesting film? A film about him and about the actual book rather than what happened in the book? I don't know. It definitely would be something new. Like that's also kind of what I felt about this film is that this is this the third time they've made it? it, it it's yeah, I think the third big production. Yeah, done and it, it just kind of feels like more of the same. I'm just a bit yeah, like what you're saying there might have been a more interesting take on this whole situation. And so at the Baftas, I was a bit annoyed because I wanted Banshees of Inisherin to win everything, and this won like everything at the Baftas. But then at the Oscars, it's still it won four Oscars in total as well as Best Foreign Picture. And it put, that means it, it's one of the most awarded foreign language films in Oscar history, alongside Parasite and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's not enough for me. Like when you're putting it against yeah. like Parasite, I don't know. Uh, and Crouching Tiger, which which is so unique, it's such a well-made film yeah. in its way. This is a very well-made film. What did you think of the sound design? Weird. So I thought it was strange. And I, I think, cause there were those moments of the like, or whatever that noise is, where it just comes in like randomly. And it's sort of, teasing something more sinister coming but I just yeah. I just thought it was really jarring and like not in a good way it was just a bit random it's probably only played about eight times but you'd only need that noise I think twice in the film yeah to get it memorable yeah like, I think less would be would have been more Gen- generally with this film I think less <laughs> would have been more yeah um yeah so I mean you know what I, I I'm kind of talking about it like I really didn't think it was good I did think it was good yeah. but Given we're doing an Oscar special, I suppose that we should talk about when things are hyped up. Yeah. How would you have felt if this hadn't won everything? I probably would have liked it more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think the really, like, again, I didn't hate it at all. I watched it and I was really taken on the emotional journey with it. But the Oscars is such a huge accolade. Is it worthy mm. of the accolade? I don't think so. If somebody had said to me, there's this amazing German adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm see it it'll blow your mind i would be like oh wow but because it was netflix yeah it's a cinematic film that's also maybe it as well because if it's coming from netflix you're a bit like oh fine another netflix movie and that takes away some of the like authenticity of it as well so at what stage of a film studies course slash your education would you watch this at 
So I think this is a, uh, I want to say like GCSE, like end of term or like just before your, G it's, it's a history video. It's not a film study. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. rainy day. Can we watch the video? That kind of thing, I think. Yeah. It's like a, or like a comparative lesson on how a film was made in the 1930s. Yeah. Maybe something on sound design, not that I liked it, but it is quite unique. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a film for teenagers to make them scared of war. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, maybe when you're doing like a class trip to the battlefields or if you're studying like Siegfried, Siegfried Sassoon or something like that, just to get the German perspective. Um, yeah, and actually that is really important to remember. To see something from the opposite perspective and, you know, realise they were people labouring under the same propaganda and illusions mm. or similar that we were yeah. in the UK. Yeah, 100%. Can I say one more pretentious point here? That do you know the journey of the screenwriter for this film? No. So she's a Scottish triathlete called Leslie Patterson, but she basically was a triathlete her whole career, but was like always really obsessed with this source material. And so her and her husband bought the rights a while back and they because you know the rights run out after like 10 years or whatever you have to like keep buying yeah. them back and she basically wanted to make this film so badly there was one year where the rights were about to run out and she was going to she was like oh I can just go and run a triathlon and and I'll win the money that we can then renew the rights with and she went to do this triathlon and like broke her arm on the first day or something and she was so determined that she then did a whole triathlon with a broken arm and won it swimming with one arm like crazy and so that that was the last time they bought the rights to then have it adapted so she's had this crazy career as an international triathlete and now a screenwriter and it is just fascinating oh, and she is like my new hero obsessed So, Emily, what have you chosen for our buzzy pick week? This week, it has to be Succession, Ned. Mainly because yeah. this week, the launching of the fourth and final season of Succession. Bittersweet. I'm guessing you're a Succession superfan. Yes, that would be correct. Despite this not being an Oscars thing, I feel if there were an Oscars, this would sweep the board with winning. I'll give a brief overview of Succession. It's about a billionaire media family in America. The patriarch of this family, who's a Rupert Murdoch figure, um, in the first episode, is beginning to get ill and old. And it's all about, basically, who is going to succeed him in running this media empire. Mm -hmm. I mean... It's kind of not about that at all, but it is. That's a plot, if I had to give it a plot. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of broad plot that all of the amazing family drama happens around. Where would you rank it in your favourite programmes ever? This, might, this is my favourite TV show ever. Often people are like, can you recommend something to watch? I'm like, if you haven't watched Succession, you need to like reevaluate your life and go home and watch it right now. <laughs> I think Succession is so funny so good so witty so slick it's just I've yet to meet someone who doesn't like it so a lot of people don't like the first two episodes they say that it is just a bunch of awful people shouting at each other now that is kind of the case but what would you say to them 
I would say... If you were being nice, because I'd say to them, <laughs> give, the first two episodes are amazing. Uh, yeah. I don't really understand how people don't like the first two episodes because yeah. they establish all the characters so well from the first second. It's a really interesting yeah. setup. But I'm getting you to be nice to them. I would say give it a chance. I think it's like any TV series. I think of so many TV series that I watched one episode and I was like, we were talking about Lockwood & Co. You haven't got into their world. You're not in their mindset on their journey. So I'd say give it, you know, at least to episode three to fully embrace it. I would say, yes, th this is a cast of anti-heroes. There is not one among them who is not flawed, but at, yeah. at the root... There's probably only one amongst them who isn't demonstrably evil, and that's Cousin Greg. I mean, I think I think Gregory Hirsch is, is problematic, but I mean, I obviously love him. But I, I think it's so about family dynamics and the way, like, sibling dynamics, parent-child dynamics romantic relationships work relationships even though it's the most lofty ridiculous family ever they are very they are dealing with all these very human things around like insecurity and living up to expectations and th mm. they're just trying to get through yeah they've been dealt a weird hand but it's so human at its core I mean but the thing is you do fall in love with these characters and you do root for them despite them being so dreadful I agree with all of that. What I like about it is almost the opposite thing, which is it's such an amazing look at basically the evil of the people like the Murdochs who are running our lives. Yeah. And how there's a, there are so many scenes where they're kind of the casual entitlement and arrogance they face the world with is shown. There's a bit where they set up an entire like lunch at a beach with the lobsters and everything. They get there and they just go, oh, I, I don't want this. And they just chuck it all in the bin. And then every now and then you just get these little hints. There's a bit where uh, the brother of a patriarch is talking and cousin Greg saying to him, you know, he's not that bad, is he? Says, given his denial of climate science and spreading of fake news around climate change, there's a case to be made that he's worse than Hitler. <laughs> Um, in terms of loss of life. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. And it, true. you do often idolise the lives of the rich and the famous, don't you? When you just see the absolute moral bankruptcy you have to have to get there, and then what people do with the power, it is that real shedding of light on these awful, awful people and the things that they do and the fact that they have so much power and they just... But I think that's why we all like Cousin Greg so much, because he he's the outsider character that we're all like relate to. And we're like, oh, that's what it would be like. But he's still he's still playing his own game. And that's the sort of point, isn't it? On the first two episodes, them being particularly tricky mm -hmm. and you don't like that, you might not like it. There is a, a, a rumour or a kind of a school of thought that the writer of it, the writer who previous credits include Peep Show and Fresh Meat, who's a showrunner, yeah. which Fresh Meat has quite a similar attitude to characterization, which is he deliberately makes them more objectionable at the beginning. Right. So he can better build their characters as the series goes on. Jesse Armstrong is like the writer. His career has been incredible and he's so, I mean, he's obviously not under the radar, but I also think that this is one of the reasons why the show is so good because it's got that British sarcasm to it i've not seen an american show that does this because he's done stuff like the thick of it the loop fresh meat all these things that you're saying you can see him bringing that to these horrible american characters 
Yeah. But some of the quips, particularly between Greg and Tom, but then also between the siblings, is yeah. so British, like the way they're talking to each other. Have you seen the other big greatest shows of all time? So have you seen Sopranos? No. Have you seen The Wire? Yes. Mad Men? Oh, yeah. I love Mad Men. I also think that because they're all so of their time, and I think that when you're looking at Succession now... Obviously, it's a show being made now. It's tapping into those, like, mm. feels much more. Succession just feels so funny because of what's going on, like, right right now. It basically reveals how the structures behind the lies we lead yeah. are kind of quite callous. And it's got that tragedy element. Whereas I don't know if Sopranos has that, that same mm. attitude towards tragedy. There are all these kind of grand tragedies with these anti-heroes. But I, I think that... Yeah, Succession does bring it all, all together. So this isn't really going to be a spoiler, but who do you think is going to succeed? I want to say none of them. I feel like none of them deserve it. And that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, ultimately, I want Greg or Tom to succeed because they've become so sneaky and I think they deserve it. I don't think any of the kids deserve it. Of all the outcomes that can be, it will be the most depressing one. They'll build that in. I've, I've read some like theories online about, is it Marsha's son? Oh, yeah. He's been a bit in the background and there's a lot of theories that he's going to maybe make a bit of a resurgence because I think he maybe knows about what Kendall did. I just, or Jerry, actually, I think she deserves it. She's great. Like, I, But you keep saying people deserve, the whole, the whole point of a show is no that one deserves it. don't get what they deserve. Like the whole message of a show is basically like evil triumphs <laughs> yeah. and i think logan will probably die before the last episode interesting i think probably they'll do a game of thrones mm. um and have the main the main drama in the penultimate episode yeah. and then the last episode is a kind of wrap up uh wrap up i will say that i am very impressed with them stopping it here i think that they've done the right thing that they're not dragging it out to make it into like a parody of itself i think it's been four seasons short and sweet keep it like how bingeable is it so bingeable the most bingeable although it does get a bit wearing i will say i think the most i've binged mm. is maybe like two episodes maybe three they're long they are meaty and sometimes it's a bit exhausting watching too many in one go <laughs> yeah i'd say it's something you want to savor yeah which is why it's great, because it's on Now TV at the moment. And I think it's coming out week by week. My wife's furious it's coming out week by week. She's like, I want it now. But I just, I really would. Also, I mean, it's going to be one of those ones that everyone before the last episode is going to be like rushing to watch it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Emma. I thank you. That is everything for today. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to give us a like follow and subscribe and follow us on instagram at have you dot seen it <laughs>